we continue in the book of Genesis. So if you would please open to Genesis chapter 46 as we continue. And we'll take 46 in chapter 47 today, and then we'll finish with communion. But, uh, but as we, if you've been joining us in the series here, believe it or not, we're finally finishing Genesis. It's been a, quite, quite a few months, the beginning of the year, we started in January. And so probably next week we'll finish up if uh, everything goes well. I'm, I'm planning on doing three chapters next week, but I may not, but we'll see how that plays out. But if you've been with us, if you remember in chapter 40, uh, 45, it was at the, finally at the point where, if you remember, something very significant happened. That Jacob received the word and received a promise. And because he received the word and received the promise, he believed. Now, what was the word and what was the promise? The word was is that God orchestrated for the brothers to come back, including Benjamin, back home to see dad, Jacob, and let Jacob know that Joseph was still alive. And that not only was he, that he received word that he was still alive, that he was not dead, but that is the fact that, that uh, there was a promise given there as well that God used an unbelieving ruler, Pharaoh, to bring a blessings of all these carts, to be able to bring back Jacob and all his entire family to dwell in the a land of abundance there, right there in that fertile ground of the Nile River, the delta there, Goshen, as we will see. And because he received word, and because he received and saw the promise of God miraculously provided for him, he had a faith to go and move from Canaan, from Hebron, Dak, or go to Egypt, a place he said he thought he would never go. And we will see this played out today. So if, let's follow along here. Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the, to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of, of your father. Do not Fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So he received the word, he said, he made a decision, yes, by faith, he's going to Egypt, and that was God's will. Even though he, in his mind, and everything, as we will see, did not think that was the last place he was going. Because God said that he was in the promised land. He was where God wanted him to be. So why would God move him to Egypt? Of all places, Egypt represented the world. Why would he go there? Because he was a man of faith. And he was a pilgrim. He is, this is not his home. 
So his pilgrimage of life, what he thought he was finally where he is to live, and this is where it's going to be, God sometimes, in this case, said, no, you're going to go down for a period of time. You're going to Egypt. Now look at here. As Israel's journeying, he doesn't go straight here. He says that he takes a stop in Beersheba. This was the outermost outpost of the Canaan territory on the way to Egypt. And Israel stopped there to do what? To honor God with the sacrifice. He stopped to worship his God. Why did he do that? Well, many times God gives you and says, go. And many times you go, but do you stop and worship God? Do you stop and worship God when God says to go? Do you take the time to seek after him, to get, continue to get? He got clear knowledge, clear information given to him in a vision at night. But remember, both Abraham in Genesis 22 and Isaac in Genesis 26 lived for a time in Beersheba. So his father and his grandfather both knew this area. God had used this place mightily in their lives. Israel's grandfather, Abraham, planted a Tamaric tree in Beersheba. And many years before, he had called on the name of the Lord there, if you remember, in Genesis 21. Isaac received a special promise from God and built an altar, a sacrifice there, if you remember, in chapter 26. So no wonder, I'm not surprised, and you're not surprised, here he is coming through, going to Egypt. He stops in the same place with his fathers were worshiping, where God, he heard from God. He stops there, and we believe this is exactly where he offered sacrifices to God as well. And to have a time of worshiping his God, because God is working in and through his life. Now, God spoke to Israel in these visions of the night. More than 40 years before, if you remember, Jacob was also leaving the promised land from this place. And God spoke to him in a dream, if you remember, Genesis 28. And now when he was about to leave the land again, God again brought assurance through a series of visions at night and gave him direction of what he needed to do of about continue to go to Egypt. Now, when the, in the promises here, notice that in the visions, he says, Jacob, Jacob. Now, in the scriptures, we see a pattern, if you remember. Where else do we see that same time when God speaks to someone and uses the name twice? He used it for the grandfather, Abraham, Abraham. We will see it later in the scriptures. Samuel, Samuel. Or Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul. He uses that pattern to get your attention. But isn't it wonderful to know that God knows your name? That he knows your name and he knows every detail of your life. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where your anxieties are. He knows where your highs and your lows. He is with you. So here he is, remind Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob was listening. He was actively listening and waiting to hear from God. He came to worship and sacrifice God. When you and I spend the time wanting to spend time to hear and, to, and be still and to want to hear from God, God is going to say your name. He will get your attention and he will communicate by his word 
what he wants to tell you. But you have to be ready and prepared. You have to want to desire to hear from him. You want to sit there and be still. And, and, be, and again, God said to go, and by faith he went. And as he took the steps of faith and he started going, guess what happens? God reveals himself. So many times we'll say, well, I'll go if God reveals himself and speaks to me first. When he lays it all out in the details, then I will maybe take that step. That's not how it works, my brothers and sisters. It's by faith that we live, not by sight. When God says to go, you're to be immediate obedience. God will then work and continue to reveal himself in direction of what he wants you to do as you take those steps of faith. So we see here, but what would be a hesitant or, a risk or something? Why would here God says to him, do not fear to go down to Egypt? which tells you Jacob was fearful. Even though by faith he's going, he was still fearful. What am I doing? I'm taking the entire clan, the entire tribe, down to Egypt, the world. Did I really hear from God? Is this really truly from God? I mean, these questions start coming in your mind. Is this the right decision? Is this not the right But he had some, because remember, Jacob Remember that his grandfather Abraham had gone to Egypt in a time of why did God, why did he go to, down to Egypt? Because of a famine. Remember, so the situation's the same. I have a famine; it's kind of driving me down there. And my grandfather Abraham went down there because of famine. But the difference was this: God never told Abraham to go to Egypt. He leaned on his own understanding and he trusted in his own instincts and his own ways of thinking. And he went on his own and you saw the consequences of that decision. Remember, when he came back, he brought a maidservant by the name of what? Hagar. And still today in the Middle East, we're still feeling the ramifications of that decision. But Jacob did not go to Egypt on his own. He going to Egypt because God spoke to him and by his word, and he went based on God's word. That's why I'm always encouraging you, my brothers and sisters, before you make a decision, seek after God in his word, and if he confirms it by his word, then you have the confidence and you have the surety of the step of faith you're about to take. So important. So not only does he have in the back of his mind that Abraham went to Egypt and look at the problems that resulted from there because of, of Abraham's unbelief in, his, in, his, in, his, his, in driving and control of, of doing, his, doing it his way. But also remember that even his father Isaac took steps to go to Egypt and what happened? God had to intervene and say, no, Isaac, you will not go down to Egypt. He stopped him in Genesis chapter 26, verse 2. So now Jacob knew God told Abraham and his descendants also in Genesis 15, 13, remember the scripture, that you will send, your descendants would be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. This is the time that was going to take place. It was, we've seen it way before in time and here in chapter 15 and now we're in chapter, later on here we're in chapter 46 and we're seeing now 
the time that God spoke back to Abraham and said, your descendants will be serving in a foreign land that's not yours, is not the promised land, but you will be there for 400 years. And sure enough, we will see as we go into Exodus at another time, we will see 430 years later, God will be bringing them back out. But we're now seeing them go into Egypt to start that 400-year trek. Do you think Jacob understood fully that that was what was going to happen by going down to Egypt? No, he didn't. If he remember promises, it was passed down from Abraham that the scriptures that yes, we're going to a land and be servants there for four years. He may have made that connection, but I assure you, his focus was on two things: first, see Joseph, and two, get bread for his family and his livestock because they were all dying of the famine but not realizing that they were going to be down there for 400 years. He knew he was about to die. And we will see that at the end of the teaching today. But Jacob was able to go with confidence, with peace, because he was sure of God's promise and God's presence directly directing his steps by his word. And when you have that, you too will have peace and confidence as you take steps in this life. But he also says here in the scripture, I will make you a great nation. And sure enough, we will see that God uses this time and place to actually grow the nation of Israel. And he also, I will also surely bring you up again. So he gave him a promise. Yes, you're going to go down. Not only are you going to go down, but you're going to be a great nation while you're there. And I am going to bring you back to the promised land just like the Abraham covenant said. That was passed from Abraham to Isaac to you, Jacob. So no fears if what's going to happen. And he did not worry because he's taking an entire tribe and all of his possessions and all of his livestock going to Egypt based on faith. But he, God said to him in those visions, you will be coming back. Egypt will not be the permanent home for Israel and his children. And then Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Again, another promise to probably to relieve the fear and the anxiety in the, in the mind of Jacob. Not only will you worry about going down, don't worry because you're going to prosper while you're there. If you're worrying and concerned about going to Egypt and coming back, I'm bringing you back. If you're worried about going down there and you're not really going to see Joseph like you're hoping... He is going to be right there at your bedside, so when you die, he'll be the one that's going to close your eyes. So everything that Jacob was concerned about, God gave and spoke to him right there in those visions that night and just drove him right down into Egypt. Verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, And their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took his livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, and Jacob and all of his descendants with him. His sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. He left no one behind. Now, in this next section here, you're going to see a lot of names 
in conjunction with each of the sons and connected with the mother of those sons. And we're going to go through those very quickly, and I'm going to highlight those to you, and I'm not going to pronounce every single word. So that will save you for that one, okay? So now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn, remember. In verse 9, the sons of Reuben were who? There were four of those sons that we see named here. And then to see the sons of Simeon, he has six names there. And one of them made note that this, one of them, that the Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman, remember Simeon and Judah went against God and went against dad. And, and they went outside of the, uh, the, 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 the family and married a, a Canaanite woman, which they were not supposed to do. But here we see one of them being noted in the lineage here. Then the sons of Levi were three of them there. Then the sons of Judah in verse 12, there was five sons plus two grandsons noted. But notice also in the scriptures that Ur and Onan were both taken out by God. Remember, they were so wicked that God himself said, they're too wicked, this is not good. And he actually killed both of those two sons. Then we see the sons of Ishakar, and we see four sons born there. In verse 14, the sons of Zebulun, there were three named here. And in 15, there's a summary of the sons of Leah, the six sons that we just talked about here, whom she bore to Jacob, remember. And he mentions in that verse Dinah, the daughter. Now, we know he had more daughters, but only Dinah is noted here, just like in the scriptures early on. But all the persons of his sons and his daughters were 33 in total. Now, if you go back and you're great mathematicians and you add them up, that's not 33. That's why not all of them are named in this series. But we do know there was 33 because God gave us the total number, just didn't give all the names. Then we see in verse 16, the sons of Gad. We see there that uh, of uh, Ziphon, we can see there are seven of those sons right there. The sons of Asher, there were four, plus one sister, Sirah, and two of the uh, grandsons noted there in verse 17. So in 18, the sons of Zilpah summarized the two sons, having 16 persons that were part of that, uh, that, that wife. Now remember, Zilpah was the maidservant of Leah that uh, Laban, the father, gave to her as they went out. It was like a nurse and watched over her and took care of her. But ended up, remember the competition between all the who was going to have more babies and, and bless Jacob? And remember the maidservants got involved and ended up having babies too to try to account for uh, Leah having more than Rachel. That didn't go well. Um, and then... Then in verse 19, the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph, in the land of Egypt, while he was down there as serving there, bore Manasseh and Ephraim. And that, so those two were born. Now we know later on, we find out there were probably more kids than that, born grandsons or someone there, but this is not named here. The sons of Benjamin, there were 10 of them that we are named here in this scripture. And verse 22, there's a summary here. The sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all, were falling under the lineage there of Rachel, that wife, the wife he loved so much. Remember, she could not have babies for a very, very long time. God's timing when Rachel was to have Joseph was perfect. And the number that she was to have was perfect according to God's plan. 
God determines that, what's best. And then we see that the son of Dan, he only had one son that's noted here. Verse 24, the sons of Naphtali, there was four named there. And then we see a summary of the sons of Bilhah. Remember, Bilhah is the maidservant of Rachel. Someone, dad gave, said, okay, Bilhah, watch out for Rachel and go take care of her. But she ended up having babies for Jacob as well. And so there were seven persons in all for under the mother of Bilhah. In verse 26, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's wives, son's wives, were 66 persons in all. Now we know here in verse 27 that the sons of Joseph were born in Egypt, in, to him in Egypt, and were two persons, and all the persons of the household of Jacob were, who went to Egypt were 70 in total. Now, we know in Acts 7.14, Stephen mentions there was 75. Now, there's not a disconnect in regards to that number. It's just that we just know that not all of them are named here. But we do know from Stephen's perspective, looking back and looking also noting in the Septuagint, that, that, that writings, that 75 was that total. At this point, it really doesn't matter. We see the fact that God took a man with Four wives, and we can see as we watch God work through the nation of Israel and becomes a great nation, just as, as God said it would happen. So it really, all these descendants that he brings with him, Jacob brings with him to Egypt, shows this incredible, great faith Israel had. He brought his entire family. He's bringing them across an entire desert with everything based on a pilgrimage of faith from Canaan to Egypt with the promise that somehow God was going to bring back his entire family back because he had no promise of he would be coming back to there because he was an old man. He knew he was at the end. And he said, I'm going to meet Joseph. I, I'm, I'm good. I, I can die now. I don't need to see or experience anything else of this world or make sure we get all, all back into, into Canaan. Why? Because he knew God said he was take God said was he was going to take uh, the people back to Canaan. He didn't have that pressure. Jacob didn't have that pressure of guaranteed to bring the family and the entire tribe all the way back to Canaan, because God said he was going to do it. See, he had tremendous peace and rest in God and what his abilities are. Now the sons of Judah where the sons of Judah were a very special note because this is the messianic lineage that we know in the scriptures. Luke 3, verses 33 through and 34, talks about the lineage of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to Perez and to Hezron. And all of these people, these 70 that we see here in the scripture here, the 66 plus Jacob himself and Joseph and his two sons, and all of them look... We take off, and there that's 70 in total that we know. Now, if you look at the scripture and you look over his, history, they dwell in Egypt for 430 years, and they, when they were doing the Exodus, and we will get to the scriptures in the Exodus, we'll see there were over 2 million people in that, uh, that tribe of Israelites. Now, do the math, right? 
If you do the math, and many have, if you look at the structure and just this first initial tribe just establishing, it was a 6% growth during the period of time of less than 50 years. If you multiply that out to 430 and do the math, you can see that 6% growth rate will be well over 2 million people, just like the scriptures say. And that all took place in Egypt, not in the promised land. So we see the God's faithfulness of bringing him and his entire family back. Now, verse 28, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph. Why would he send Judah and not Reuben? Well, because Judah really is the one that is going to be the messianic line, and also the rest of them disqualified themselves because of their evil and wicked ways. So God sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way of Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his, on his neck a good while. You can imagine. There was a lot of blubbering going on there, there's no doubt, after not seeing his son who he thought was dead for 20 some odd, 22 years. That was a lot of blubbering going on there. And in Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Imagine to know that the grieving and the anguish of all these years of your loss of your son and then find out that he's alive and you got to see him. Amazing uh, impact, I'm sure, on Jacob's life at that moment. But it was fitting for Judah to do it. He was the messianic line. He was the escort. He escorted Israel into Goshen, the land of abundance. And this reunion with his dad was amazing, dramatic change from the attitude for Jacob. Because if you remember, Jacob had that attitude back in chapter 42, verse 36. Is, oh, oh, all these things are against me. Oh, this is terrible. I can't believe this is all going against because he was looking based on sight and not what God was doing behind the scenes in and through his life. And that happens to us too. We should, we should knock Jacob on this because we can get emotionally wrapped up. Oh, he's me. How can this happen? And this is terrible. The, well, how can we be here in the weather and the, the loss of a family? We can get really emotional because it's so impactful for us. But we must take that next step in our pilgrimage of faith and say, I may not completely understand why we lost a loved one. But God, I'm going to trust you. By faith, I'm going to trust you. Because your purposes are greater than I can see. Your outcome and what you're going to do in and through all this, may I just stay faithful to you, Lord, and continue to live a life by faith and not by sight, especially not by emotions, because they will really mess, mess us up when, because we take our eyes of what, how big God is. But God can do whatever he needs to do. Is he Lord of your life or is he not Lord of your life? We must choose daily, let the Lord be, let Jesus be the Lord of your life. Let him be in control and take all of our sorrows, take all of our grief, take all of our pain. Take all. He knows all of that, and he wants us to come to him in those times. Come to me. Draw close to me, and I'll draw close to you, the scripture says. 
Don't get upset with God. That's just hurting yourself. Come to him. He will comfort you. He's the great comforter. He's the, he's the provider. He's the, he's the protector. He's, he's everything for you and I. Everything. And so we see here Judas really experiencing something he never thought would happen. In verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation, that you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So we've been talking over the series of, of Genesis that how Joseph is a picture-like of Jesus Christ. And we see once again Joseph becomes the mediator for his family with the ruler on his behalf, in this case, Pharaoh. And he comes to Pharaoh and he's coaching his brothers and says, you're going to go there because Pharaoh's going to look at you and he's going to ask, what is your occupation? Because he, being the ruler, has a purpose and a plan that he will assign to you. So if you walk in and say you deal with bricks, guess what you're going to be doing? For Pharaoh in his kingdom. If God says, if, if God gives you a gift and gives you abilities, God has you a plan for you to do something in his kingdom. So here we see Joseph is coaching the brothers and says, tell the Pharaoh what your occupation is because he's going to ask you. And I want you to make sure you tell them that we deal with livestock. We deal with, uh, we're a shepherds, and we've always been that. Because that is what you're going to be doing. Why is that important? And he gives the details. Because the Egyptians see shepherds, they see sheep as dirty animals, and, they, and shepherds are the lowest caste in Egypt. Which means... He doesn't want you or any of the family anywhere near Egyptians. Egyptians are not going to want a fellowship or be even near you. And that's exactly what God wanted. Because God was bringing them down there so that the nation of Israel will grow and will not be tainted by intermarriage with the Egyptians. And they're not going to do that. Why? Because they see shepherds as an abomination. No touchy. Stay over there in the Delta area. Stay in Goshen. You take care of our sheep. You probably take care of our livestock. You provide the food. But don't come in my area. We won't go into your area. Perfect plan of God. Why? Because God needed to protect his people. Now his ways are not our ways. And our ways are not his ways. And to think you have this all figured out in your head and you know who, what God is going to do and how he's going to do it, you are fooling yourself. You're absolutely deceived. Because I guarantee you, if you look and examine your life, none of everything you think you planned out has come to fruition exactly the way you said it was going to be. Matter of fact, as a child of God, if you're following him, it is far greater than you ever experienced spiritually 
and maybe even physically and, and mentally and everything else in your life. Because in the will of God, it is good. Because God is only is a good God. He's only going to give you what is good. And so here we see this. God's orchestrating, placing things in order, making sure he's protecting his people. And sure enough, we see here as we move in into this uh, verse 47, because the Egyptians are agricultural, they're farmers, they, they raise crops. They, again, let the shepherds be separated from us. Don't let us interact and it'll be fine. So sure enough, in chapter 47, verse 1, we see it all playing out. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from, uh, from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Why did he do that? Well, you know, you, you go back and you go, why five? And what does five mean in the scriptures? It means grace. Six, it means men. It's, it's, a, it's, a, man, men, it's a, a human men's perspective. Seven means uh, completion or perfection. Five means grace. So for some reason, God, and we don't even know who the brothers were. We don't know which ones he was selected. But by God's grace, these five men come with Joseph, come in front of Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers exactly what Joseph said he would ask, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And what did Pharaoh say? Verse 5, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my, my livestock. So here again, Pharaoh is a complete ruler here. But because of the love or the respect that Pharaoh had with Joseph, because what God worked through Joseph, Pharaoh could not ignore God Almighty was working through a man named Joseph, and he went from a slave, remember, into and now the most second most powerful man of Egypt. And he's saving not only Egypt, but saving all the entire known world through a famine that God spoke to Joseph through his dreams. Even Pharaoh's smart enough to know what's going on here. And he's so much respect for Joseph, he receives Joseph's father and his brothers, entire flock of, of, of his clan would come down and gave him the best land in the country. Amazing. When God's guiding, it's amazing the blessings that can come. And so Pharaoh's looking and seeing this whole thing. He says, absolutely not a problem. And then, he, then in verse 7, then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now that's significant. The least is blessing the one in, in control and power. And Pharaoh didn't take his head off so far as we see. And he doesn't. So Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? 
<laughs> and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Now go do that next time someone asks you how old you are. Well, my pilgrimage has been, I'd love for you to say and let me know how they respond because I'm sure they'll never ask you your name age again. My pilgrimage is, on your little form you have to fill out when they say, what's your age? Pilgrimage has been, because we're not of this world. Heaven is our, 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 where our destination is. That's our home, not this world. So we're just like J Jacob, we're just pilgrimage. As God moves us through this, this time, we're going to go home. We're going to go to heaven and come back with him. So it's just like this. It, it's been 130 years in my pilgrimage. And he says, and he defines how it was. He says it's, it was few and evil. Few and evil compared to what? He says right here, have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob humbly says, and he's not being sarcastic or being kind of crazy here. He says, I'm 130, but let me tell you, Pharaoh, it's, I, I am not as old as my father and my father's father. And I would not a saint. Compared to my life, I did some really evil and bad things in my life. And, my, and, and compared to my dad and my dad's dad. But I walk with God now. That was the past. I live for God now. And what had happened? So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh acknowledged that he was staring in the eyes of a godly man. He knew Joseph. And Joseph must have told all about his dad, Jacob. And he accepted the blessing from Jacob. An Egyptian who was a powerful man, who was seen as the human embodiment of the sun god Ra, and he's receiving the bestowed blessing from an Israelite's father. Amazing. And then we see here in verse 11, And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And then Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. So he's getting them all situated. He makes sure they're all fed. They're all tidied up and tucked in. To, and this is where you're going to live. And they, everything is fine. But notice this, that the family turns, is, you know, Israel, the whole Israel and the entire family looked to Joseph and Joseph only as their source of provision and supply. Again, Joseph as a picture of Christ-likeness, of or Christ, Jesus Christ himself. We, too, need to go to our Lord, to our Savior, for all of our provision, to all of our supply. That is who we turn to. And he will provide. And then we see here in verse 13, Now there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very severe, so the, that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt 
and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So here we see that Joseph has been given a tremendous gift from God, the gift of administration. It's a spiritual gift. And he is wisely working with the resources at hand. And we see now the, the seven-year period of famine was coming to an end, but not quite yet. I believe it was around year five here as we look at the scriptures. Because in this year, they have already come back and said, hey, we have given all of our money. We have no more money to buy, buy bread. What are we going to do here? Joseph, what are you going to do? What, 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 what can we do here? And Joseph sits there and he says, So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. It's all gone. We have no more money. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So don't be messing with me here. You got money, just pay me the money. But if you have no money, then yes, I'll take your livestock and then use that as payment. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, and the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Notice that. Enough to get them through another year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. We're not hiding. We don't have it stuffed in the mattress. We don't have it down underneath the, you know, the bedding of the cow or anything. You know, we, we had no money, and we gave you livestock. So he says, we're not messing with you here, Lord. We, our money is gone. So my Lord also has our herds, our livestock. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's, and as, and, for, and as for the people, he moved them into the cities and from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. So there was already an arrangement that Pharaoh would always take care of the priests and allot food. So they didn't have to sell anything, give anything. It was already part of their payment of being priests to take care of those spiritual needs. And they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have brought you and your land, uh, bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for the little ones. 
So they said, you, shall, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made a law over the land of Egypt. And to, the, to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So here they are. We've given you all of your money. Okay, let's negotiate how you want. You, we'll get your bread. Give me your livestock. They end up giving all their livestock that next year. Again, the famine has not finished yet. They're still in that seven-year period. So they had to come back to Joseph and say, hey, we're not holding money back. You've got all of our livestock. All we have left is us as a servant of yours and our land. And he says, okay, I'll purchase all your land so we'll get you through the next this next year. And we'll, you will actually now serve and work for Pharaoh. And how are you going to do that? I'm going to give you a seed, and you're going to go plant the seed so that then when the seed starts growing, which, which, which means what? The end of the seven-year famine is coming to the end. Why? Because now the seed is starting to going to be growing, and Joseph knows you're going to start getting food here. And when that grows, you need to give one-fifth, which is 20% of the crop, to Pharaoh as a tax, as a payment. So you're going to do all the work. You're going to work the Pharaoh's land because Pharaoh owns it now. And you're going to work for Pharaoh and you're going to plan all of that. And when 100% of the harvest comes, you keep 20% for yourself and your kids and everything seed for, to replant the following year. The, the rest of that money comes to Pharaoh. All the crops come to Pharaoh. They keep it. Now, I don't know about you. And many people will say, oh, if I can only have to pay a total tax of that year, 20%, you would take that deal. Because one of most of us probably pay a lot more of that when you start looking at all the different taxes that go on uh, that we don't even know, even know about. But for them, they knew right up front, whatever you make for that year, 20% goes to the government. And it's you know, nothing new under the sun, isn't it? We see right here in the scriptures, when there is chaos in a nation, central government becomes more powerful. It's terrible. But that's what happens. Government comes in, swoops in, and, and, and gains control. So we have to, but notice the ones that didn't really have control, right? The ones that already had a provision and already planning ahead, those kind of things. We see that God's in control and we do not worry about these things. What is owned to Caesar's Caesar's, what's God's is God's. This is not our home. We're going to go home when he calls us home. And so we don't worry about these things. And so sure enough, there in verse 27, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions and there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. 430 years. Amazing. Millions in the nation of Israel. And Jacob lived, verse 28, in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and he said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your, your hand under my thigh. Deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Who, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. Joseph, swear to me you're going to take me out of here. 
and he's and he's and Joseph swore to him. So Israel bowed his himself bowed himself on the head of the bed. So we see here at the end of uh, chapter forty-seven, it's he, Jacob lived another seventeen years in Egypt, watching what God was doing and the growth was going on. Obviously, the famine's now done. There's food being plenished. You would think, okay, can we go back home now? But he didn't. We nowhere in the scriptures do we see them immediately saying, "We've got food now. Let's go back to Canaan," because God had not said to go yet. He's not going to rush back and lean on his understanding. He's going to wait for God to tell him when. And sure enough, it's 17 years. He finally gets Joseph, brings Joseph in, and like tradition, like this way of getting attention to make sure we understand each other. Uh, the person had to put their uh, hand under the thigh of the person who was about to talk. That man was not going to move, right? That means you were really close. Like right now, if you wanted to talk to me, we can, okay, let me do some stuff. You can keep talking to me. You, you may not hear that person. But if you go over there and put my hand under the, the thigh, and I'm looking in your eye that close, because I'm not only an arm's way, I'm going to hear everything he's about to tell me. And that's how serious that conversation was, to a point, swear you will take my body out of here and bury me with my fathers back in the promised land. And of course, Joseph said, of course, Dad, I swear. Next week, Lord willing, we'll pick back up on the death of Jacob in the continuation of that.